Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for tuning in and welcome to yet another episode of the Chat with Traders podcast. This week, we're at episode 43 and my guest is John Borman. John has been immersed in the world of trading for over 30 years now and has spent the majority of his time in the institutional space. He's been on the buy side, the sell side, run a trading desk, been an assistant to a portfolio manager and has also been a prop trader. But nowadays, John trades independently and does also manage assets for others. His approach to trading is probably best described as a long-only trend-following strategy, which we discuss extensively during this episode. Some of the topics we hit on include why the simplicity of trend-following can be both a gift and a curse, why John trades the long side only, and how this affects him in a full-fledged bear market, plus a few pointers on position sizing, and John also shares his best tips for long-term survival. I mean, John really was an awesome guest and did share a lot of great wisdom throughout this episode. So I feel like you're, you're really going to enjoy our discussion. But just before we get into it, I've got something really exciting to share with you. And that's a new giveaway, which has kicked off just this week. Here's what I'm giving away. A free 90-minute one-on-one mentoring session with one of the Chat With Traders coaches. And there will be three winners, seen as there are three coaches who I introduced you to the other week. They are Chris Sace, Zach Hurwitz, and Brad Jelenic. Each really great traders who take this business very seriously, and they've also previously featured on the podcast too. This giveaway is your opportunity to leverage their many years of real market experience with a one-on-one conversation purely focused on how you can become a better trader. So if you'd like to seize this opportunity and enter for a chance to win, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash win. That's W-I-N and enter your email address. And the cool part about this is once you enter, you'll instantly receive a unique URL. Share this URL as much as possible because for every person who enters after clicking your unique URL, 
you'll receive an additional nine entries. And of course, that'll dramatically boost your chances of winning. So just in case you missed it, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash win. That's W-I-N to enter now. Uh, the giveaway will close on the 7th of November this year, of course, being 2015, just for anyone who's listening at a later date. All right, guys, let's get into it. I'm your host, Aaron Firefield, and here is this week's guest, John Borman. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for agreeing to an interview. I mean, it's awesome to be speaking with you, and I already know this is going to be a great discussion. So we're going to discuss your many years on the institutional side of trading, and then the meat of this episode will be focused on your views and beliefs around trend following, which I'm really looking forward to hearing your insight on this. So to get this underway, I'd like to start at day one, right at the very beginning. So John, share with us how you first got involved in markets. And I know you were quite young at the time. So how did this journey of yours kick off? Well, it's I, I guess it's 30 years ago now. Uh, so this is like in the mid-80s as a teenager and it was the combination of uh, when I was at college there was this assignment where you um, it was a diploma in business studies and there was this assignment where you had to uh, manage a portfolio for six months and uh, it kind of fired me with a love for it because I did quite well at it and uh, you, you also have to remember that this was in the UK and at the time under Mrs. Thatcher's conservative government, there was a real big push of uh, share ownership. Lots of uh, nationalized industries were being privatized. So I think British Gas, British Telecom, all these uh, new issues where the public bought into them. Everyone got their 100 shares at a, a pound each and then got to sell them, you know, 40 percent higher on the first day or something ridiculous like that. So it, it's probably not a good thing because it makes you think that it's easy. And uh, that was definitely a, a good market in the uh, mid-80s up until 87. So that was kind of my first experience of things uh, trading for myself. And having done well in that thing at college, I wanted to then uh, open up an account of my own with a broker, which I did, and obviously I was still ridiculously young and naive, and uh, made all the mistakes that um, novice traders do. Um, and uh, and and actually, I I kept trading until I I I got my uh, first job when I finished college. I started working at Schroder's, which is a big asset manager in the UK, in the back office. And uh, that was in 87. And I continued to, um, on the side, trade for myself. And of course, I was right uh, in the thick of it, trading in in and through the crash. And uh, that pretty much wiped me out and um, got um, uh, almost scared of it, I guess, and kind of then backed off and didn't trade probably for another couple of years after that and just got on with... Um, doing doing my job there which initially as I said was in the back office but then I later moved up to become uh, in the asset management arm I 
became an assistant to a portfolio manager and um, that then really introduced me more to that institutional side with them of how they deal with things. Okay, excellent. Now, one of the things you mentioned right at the very beginning there, which piqued my interest, was you said that uh, you made a lot of mistakes early on. So would you mind sharing maybe just a couple of those mistakes? Well, uh, it's, uh, I mean, they really all stem from just not having a plan, really. I mean, you're just kind of um, flying by the seat of your pants, just not really truly having a methodology, having researched it. And what that probably all stems from is just uh, being too, uh, well, not being patient enough to be able to uh, actually study this and truly learn. And instead, you end up learning by uh, making mistakes, the hardest way of all, by losing money. Um, so it would be, I, you know, I'm sure I used to buy into the whole uh buy low, sell high mentality, uh, trying to time the market. Um, uh, just so, so much of what I don't do now, you know, so it, I, I actually, I often find that on social media now, when I'm talking about things to not do, uh, sometimes it's me talking to myself. You know, it's almost like you're reinforcing your process, reminding yourself as, at the same time as others that, um, you know, that I, I've discovered the hard way what works for me. Absolutely. Okay. So now just going back to your career in the early days there. So how did you first get your your foot in the door at um, the in the back, your job at the back office there? Like, how did you get into that job? I mean, was it was it fairly easy for you to pick that up or, or tell us a little bit about that? I mean, it's a very different era. And as I said, that that was a time of great expansion and growth within that industry. So there were a lot of um, there, there are a lot of people hiring. I mean, I, I put out applications to a lot of people. I, I think I sent out like uh, fifty different um, letters to people, and I probably got like three replies, and two of them offered an interview, and I had both those interviews on the same day, and this one offered me the job on the spot. Now, looking back, it's very low paid job and it's and it's in the back office. But you know what? It meant you're in. And uh, you you it, it then took me a while to realize where I exactly where I was in within that organization. And you I'm seeing all these trades coming through, which I'm then helping to um, to settle and to uh, you know, do the admin for those. And then I suddenly realized, well, I want to be on the other side of this transaction. I want to be the one either uh, trading this or deciding the allocation. And 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 so I looked into that. So uh, I, I guess it made me realize I had an opportunity within that organization if I wanted to take it. And I was quite ambitious at the time. And so I I would look at these other jobs internally and they would require these other qualifications that I didn't have or or rather skills uh, that you needed, um, which now in this day and age will, will seem ridiculously uh, basic, but it was even just having knowledge of spreadsheets and and things like that. And I think in those days it was like uh, Lotus 1, 2, 3 and um, things like that. So 
I had to just go away and teach myself those things and and uh, went and got um, went to night school and got something in economics and uh, taught myself these other computer skills and things like that so that I could then apply for one of these jobs and meet their uh, minimum criteria, which I did. And, um, and that, I mean, that was a big, big break for me because then you read, I really got to see that side of the business. I mean, I was talking to, you'd occasionally talk to clients, you'd uh, be preparing client presentations, the performance reports, doing portfolio allocations. And it was that side of it that I enjoyed the most. And I think I uh, showed a particular aptitude for the trading side. And eventually they moved me up to the trading desk where I was then handling all the Far East business uh, for that um, asset management arm. And, and I'm 22 years old at this time. So that was quite a responsibility and quite an achievement for me so i was um you know you're handling some pretty decent sized orders uh putting sometimes we'd um put them out to be executed overnight but i also started to trade some of them during the day with market makers uh during london hours uh where we would uh you know i'd get them to make a price so then that was my way of um handling some of the business there using my discretion to decide that we might be better off trying to deal this here rather than leave it in the uh, market overnight. Okay, excellent. So later in your career, um, I'm not sure how much further along this was, but I understand that you helped to actually set up a trading desk uh, in London there for the firm you were working for at the time. Yeah, that was the next thing. After, I mean, I'd, was, I'd been at Schroeder's for eight years and um, then I uh, th there was a position at, at what was then Kemper which later became Zurich and Scudder and then I think it was bought out by Deutsche it went through lots of name changes but um, that was in 95 and I was hired to set up a uh, trading desk in in London to transfer all their international trading uh, from Chicago to London and so then that was um, everything but uh, US markets for them and uh, and and all the um, FX as well so I, I had um, again that was kind of broader experience because uh, it was the real nuts and bolts of an all the other admin and compliance elements that go behind um, a trading desk as well so I really had to get to grips with that side of it and and I did that for another um, four years so that was that was my my entire uh, buy side thing there the institutional side seeing how those kind of PMs uh, allocate things how they trade and you know, because sometimes they had their own ideas about trading there are others who were very happy to uh, just hand it hand it to the desk and say, "Here, look, this is what I need. Go ahead and execute it where you think it can be done best." Or, you know, they would give you that that discretion. But there were others who 
would have a, a fixed price in mind. Oh, I only want to buy it with this limit, um, things like that, um, which I didn't think worked particularly well for them. In fact, it would be a source of great frustration to me. You know, you either do you want to buy this thing or not, and the, the you know limit orders, limit performance. They'd be they'd have uh, these orders where it's just slipping away from you every single day, and then weeks and weeks later, you've barely executed ten percent of this order, and the stock's gone up five or ten percent, uh, which was ridiculous. But you'd have other PMs who. They just knew they want to buy this thing, get me in, okay, done. And and they don't mind if you're then the one initially being aggressive uh, so that we get positioned and then let other people worry about where it's going from there. And that was um, – that that in some ways that kind of shaped how I looked at things later on because I actually saw the benefit of – that once you that now I would now characterize that as you know when you get your signal just take it um, just instantly acting on it not um, not seeing something thinking oh that looks great I really want that but I'll wait for a pullback and then the pullback never comes so so the so in in working for many different portfolio managers you really you, you know, you, you get to see what not to do as much as you do, uh, you know, to, to learn some good things as well. And, and I've been fortunate that I have worked for and with a, a lot of um, very good managers. So I've definitely uh, learned some good lessons from them. Just so we're clear on that. So what your kind of role there was that the portfolio manager has the idea of what stock they want to buy. And, and sometimes what price, and then it was your job to actually execute that order and get them into the market. Is that is that right? Yeah, it, it's different at different firms. Sometimes they would have a you know committee that would decide roughly where they wanted their commission business to go to, and then the desk over the course of the year had to try to meet those targets. That you know roughly we want. Uh, 10% of our business to go to Kleinwart and we want 12 to go to Lehman and we want 8 to go to Morgan Stanley. And you, 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 know, you just have to uh, roughly try to then give it to those people as and when it made sense. But very often, especially when we're dealing in uh, live markets in Europe rather than putting out business overnight for Asia, uh, you know, you're, you're – dealing with uh, live um, uh, bids and offers and natural business, trying to uh, go where it, where it should go, where the natural supply is. So um, we would then say to them that, you know, some, sometimes these figures are going to be different because it, I, I know you would really love to reward your buddy with this order because that's where the research came from. But sometimes it wasn't always... Um, that's simple because they're not, they might not be the axe in the name. It might be that there's um, someone else who was working a pretty decent order in that name that day and that's where that – on this particular day, this is where that order should go. So, you know, that was really your – our role was kind of um, making sure we get best execution but also in the long run trying to uh, 
fulfill their needs of what their research uh, budgets and things were. Okay. And when did your experience as like an actual prop trader come in? Was that a little bit later or was this kind of around the same time? Yeah, that was a little later that in then after I'd finished at um, Kemper in 99, I, I then went to the sell side and worked for um, Lehman. And I was uh, initially as a sales trader. So I'm sales trading uh, pan-European equities to hedge funds and institutions, um, which themselves were mostly in the US. So, so I'd, my clients would be people like um, Templeton or uh, like Lone Pine hedge fund, um, people like that or Chilton. Um, and I did that for, um, that was probably for uh, three or four years and throughout that um, dot-com uh, bear market, which has made it pretty difficult. Um, but then one of, the, one of the parts of my job there was that at the time there was, it was a new thing uh, called uh, Alpha Capture where the, the uh, Marshall Waste was the client who developed this internal a platform where they would monitor the ideas of bro brokers. It would be a way for them to um, assess the uh, signal, if you like, the effectiveness of uh, the ideas that they were getting from their uh, from the broker community. And the the better you did in that, the more you got rewarded for it in. Um, in order flow commissions and I uh, with a couple of other uh, salesmen on the team as well we did uh, very well at that and so that's what introduced me to that whole concept it's uh, and I, I actually expand on that in my blog it's why I've called my blog alpha capture it was something that was a that was quite a big break for me at the time getting that um, being able to work with that client and uh, see what they do and it was just something that I prospered at and so it then became well if you're gonna do that you should do that with uh, you should do that with our money uh, so then it was invited to join the prop desk there and I had a fairly privileged mandate at the time as a generalist so, so that rather than being tied to any one uh, sector or market, I was able to trade uh, long short um, equity futures and um, uh, and pan European equities. Uh, and it, it, I mean, it wasn't a huge book, but it was it was good enough, and it was a it was a great setup. Uh, that to me at the time, that was like, wow, this this is my perfect job. Now it's like I'm I'm managing money and um, I'll get paid on my results you know you can't ask for for more than that uh, but I, and the only problem was at the time the firm was going through a lot of restructuring in that area and I had like three different bosses in the in the in an 18 month period and they didn't really know where to uh, place me or, or how to characterize what it is I did because most of the other people in that in that place were more fundamental based 
and I was really uh, technical. I, I might have what might have been some fundamental factors to something, but I never quantified the trade in that way. And so eventually when the um, desk moved off the, off the floor into a separate area, uh, so it almost became like a, you know, an, an in-house uh, kind of kind of fund like uh, that was the trend at the time because then they had to move off the floor and separate these things because the regulations were coming in making them do that because prior to that we'd be sitting right behind the market makers which now would be un unthinkable that you could be privy to the kind of information that was going on on, on the floor um so uh, i was i was let go from there in 04 and uh that really is the, the there's then a one to two year period which really forms um everything that's that's followed that was really the uh the the formation of a lot of my ideas and um how i now look at markets really came about in that period okay and i'd like to ask you about that period because i'm interested to know why you chose not to seek out another job doing something similar with another firm um, and instead you transitioned more to trading independently. I mean, what was your reasoning for this? Well, I mean, honestly, I did try to get, uh, initially I did try to get another uh, position and um, it was actually quite a difficult market at the time. Um I was trying to then, I was mainly trying to talk to hedge funds about getting a position within a hedge fund because I always felt at the time on my resume that's like the one thing I hadn't had. I'd been buy side, sell side, uh, run a desk, um, assistant to a PM and, uh, and a prop trader and it was like it would now be good to continue that money management side and, and go to a hedge fund but I, I had several interviews at different places, but there was just nothing coming through for me. And after about six months or so, uh, we just talking with um, with my wife and and the family. We just decided that we were going to move to the U.S. Uh, give it a couple of years. If it doesn't work, we can always move back. But we'd always um, my my wife's American, so we had links back here and would travel over to the US a lot and we'd always considered that we'd end up uh, living and retiring there eventually and so with this opportunity we just thought well why not now let's let's just uh, go for it now and see if we can uh, make a go of it there and uh, you know give it a couple of years we're st and we're still here I've been here 10 years now and so when I first got here that was really, I mean, that's when I did a lot of uh, reading and researching of what it is I really believe about markets. And some of the, the, the book that really helped me with that was reading Van Tharp, uh, Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom, which is an awful uh, awful title for that book because I always think that gives the wrong impression about what it is. It's not some get rich quick thing. It, but it actually really went through, systematically goes through uh, 
makes you break down what is it you really believe about markets uh, and why and just strip everything down to to the bare bones and finding out what time frame it is you're best suited to what trading methodology i mean that's what it did to me and and it really also emphasized the importance of position sizing and, and it broke down the uh, individual components of a system made you realize how and why things work the way they do and so so that was a pivotal thing because I, I then started researching some of these other methods and trend following was one of the ones that leapt out. I mean I, I always felt within his book it kind of lent towards uh, trend following anyway I think about being one of the most consistently long-term successful methods out there. And uh, so I read, I mean, I read that, I read uh, Covell's uh, Trend Following, and I read all the Market Wizard books. And kind of getting a consensus of what is it these successful people do? Um, what, you know, what are the key key things? Most of them, it was always about it was about the importance of position sizing. Uh, it was the risk management. It was the um, cutting losses. And so all of those things resonated with me and it was how I then started to concentrate a lot more on trend following and I started to look into developing different systems and, and finding something that could work for me. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so did you find that your institutional knowledge and you know all the knowledge you'd gained over the years up until this point... Was that enough to kind of support you? Or, I mean, it kind of sounds like you had to reinvent yourself. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, well, I, I did. And, and actually looking back, I mean, I, I don't want to get too, you know, we could, we could go a little deep here. But looking back, it made me realize years later that um, – Losing my job back then in 04 from Lehman, actually, it probably really did affect me a lot more than I realized at the time. 
and I, I you know I I took it pretty heavily and um, and it it really just made me examine everything that I had had done and I I, I had been uh, I'd lost a little bit of money for them towards the end anyway um, I mean I as I said with the changes I think it was going to be inevitable anyway uh, that um, you know I, I probably would have been let go because I didn't fit into that structure anymore but I had been losing and I'd been taking it uh, quite hard I, I'm one of these people that if you lose money it's I can't just say oh yeah well it doesn't matter it's other people's money no it, to me it matters more I'm actually very conscientious about that and so you know I took it very seriously the the position that I was in there and so I really wanted to examine what it was I was doing and try to um, get my ideas straight and I, I had already started that process uh, before I was let go so it then just made me continue it and it was um, yeah we were in a position that I had that option to be able to do that and we were relatively comfortable that we you know I, I had the time to then um, develop uh, things um, I mean that's one of the great things about that it gives you uh, uh, time gives you options um, but I the, the real thing is I just started taking everything off the chart one by one things that I would use like divergences stochastics I mean now I never use them and they were these are all things that I used to use all the time and have them up on my trading and then I'd kind of examine well why is it I really do that why did I first start using that has it been of any use to me why do I use why do I use 20 day why not 21 why not 22 why not 19 you know, re really start to break down everything that you use and why you think it's useful to you. And after a while, you realize that there's not necessarily anything um, empirical, if you like, about, about these individual things. And it makes you realize not to take them, uh, treat them religiously as... You know, when you realize that it isn't the be-all and end-all, well, then all of a sudden you take all of them less seriously. And it should really be that if you find they have use, it's that they have use collectively rather than this one thing says that, therefore I'm going to do this. I mean, more than anything, now I use price. And that's what came about from that whole exercise. I would take one by one, I took every indicator off my chart, until I was left with nothing but price. And there, that was like a, the bell ringing, like, well, there you go. That, that, that is actually all you need. What do you really need to determine the trend and where this thing is going if you had nothing else but price? If you could only have one thing, one thing, it has to be price. I'm really keen to actually dig into some of those comments you just made there um, a little bit deeper um, shortly. But um, just before we do, just take us through those those few years after you kind of, you know, like we, like we kind of mentioned, um, you had to almost reinvent yourself and you started reading up on, on different material and that sort of thing. What were the next few years like? I mean, 
did you struggle to find your feet and start making money or did you pick this up pretty quickly? Um, yeah, it was, well, I started, um, experimenting with different systems and I would put money behind different systems. So I started trading, uh, for myself, but it was mostly futures actually. I, I kind of use some of the basic trend following models that you see people talk about where they might just use, um, you know, it might just, it'd be like a new 50 day high and um, exit on a 25 day low or something like that. Some of the basic things you use to um, model uh, portfolios. And you can add other things to that. You can add trend filters to it that it doesn't just have to have, uh, in that example, made a made a new 50-day high. It could also be that it's done that, but also the 50-day is above the 100 and things like that. So you kind of, so I experimented with lots of different models like that with different filters and different criteria, and and that that really is about finding uh, your time frame um, that that works best for you, as well as a kind of. Um, uh, a diversified portfolio, just how many different contracts you're going to look at. And I think I probably had about uh, 20, 20 to 25 different markets at the time. Um, and it was, I, I mean, I had successes and then I had other times where when the pullbacks came, they were perhaps a little deeper and harsher than I than I would have liked and then that made me re-examine uh, just how much I'm risking in position size. You know, you get used to people talking about 1% um, or even more and, um, and I realized for me that was even too much. If I really wanted this to be super comfortable, it would even have to be less than that. You know, it's one of those things, it's gauging uh, am I checking the futures at night in the middle of the night? Are, are you, you know, you having to get up and worry about it? You, you need to get your risk down to the sleeping point uh, where you don't have to worry about it so much. You know, is there, is there something you're, else that you're getting out of it? Some other kind of um, uh, excitement or something from trading? You know, those are normally kind of warning signs. I mean, there's a difference about being passionate about what you do and enjoying it. But it, if you really want some kind of excitement or ego gratification, the market is not a good place to find it. I mean, you, you'll get crushed eventually. So, you know, you need to have those kind of outlets outside of trading. And um, so, uh, it, it, so it actually, so it, what happened is it got to the point where um, I realized I wasn't going to be in a position to make enough in terms of, say, making a living from it. And, and I believe for most people that probably is the case. They actually need way, way more uh, th than they have. I mean, I, I started to calculate that um, for that to be really comfortable for me and for you know, to not need any other source of income and uh, to be totally, you'd need all these other things paid off. You'd need your house paid off. You need your kids 
your college paid for and all those kind of things. And then you'd still need, a, a, to me, at least a, a million dollar trading account. Now, how many people can do that? Have those things paid off and have a, a million to trade? Well, I couldn't. I certainly wasn't at that stage. Uh, but it made me realize, well, fine, I, I've, I've kind of built the groundwork here. I've done all the groundwork here and I've built a fantastic platform on which to expand. But and, until I'm ready to build on this or to make it actually a client business, um, in the meantime, I need to go back to um, uh, getting some other qualifications and... Um, and having another source of income in the meantime. So then I, I went back to um, uh, working on the sell side. With I had a local friend here who ran his own brokerage business, uh, which was fortunate. So I then worked for him for four years. So that was from 2008 to 2012. And so I got all my qualifications again for that. So I had to get my seven, my 63. Uh, I got my CMT. I got an 86, an 87, I became a research analyst, I started writing um, technical analysis research um, and went back to a lot of my hedge fund contacts in the UK and started doing some of that alpha capture stuff again. Um, and towards the end of that is when I'd started to use social media or rather follow people on social media because I couldn't use it as I was on the sell side. And I actually grew very frustrated that I see all these people out there with this platform, if you like, for their, for their views and for their ideas. And I got very frustrated that I had no voice. And I'd been in this industry all this time, but now the the movers and shakers, if you like, the people that were making a name for themselves and doing well were all the ones who were able to tap into that community and I wasn't. And it got to the point where I thought, I'm just going to have to do this. I'm in my 40s. If I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? And having to just take a leap of faith and like, let's, you know, what is it you're waiting for? Just, just do it. I mean, it's, it sounds, I'm saying it like it was easy. Uh, now I'm saying that because of what I've done since and how it's turned out, um, some kind of hindsight bias. But at the time, it was a big decision for me. It was a giant leap of faith. And like most times when I've had to do that, it ended up being absolutely the right thing to do. And um, so that kind of brings us almost up to date because that's, at the end of 2012, I quit my last job, and in January 2013, I just started blogging uh, with no with no audience, with no idea of how it would turn out, and I just started uh, talking about my approach and what I think, what I believe, and um, and it resonated with a lot of people. Wow. Okay. What a brilliant answer, John. Um, that was really good. So. Let's let's switch gears now and, and get into more about your particular approach. So if you could take just a few minutes to give us an overview of your actual trading approach and some of the things you're looking for, um, and then we'll zoom into it a little bit further. Okay, well um well let me let me start by then uh 
clarifying what uh, the the different areas I have now because I, I I have two businesses. I have uh, Broadsword Capital, which which is an RIA that manages a long only trend following strategy um, through separately managed accounts, and I have Alpha Capture, which is really a publishing company which sells uh, subscriptions to trading signals uh, on the uh, well on my blog John Borman. Dot com, but also on the Benzinga uh, MarketFi site. And both are really, they're using a long-only trend following um, on US stocks is what I do. And I mean, I say to people, I really boil it down to that I buy stocks in uptrends and manage risk. And, and, and this is all kind, this is all part of kind of, if you like, my conclusion and summary of all the things we'd talked about previously of uh, the Van Tharp things of, of finding what you really truly believe uh, about the market. And so I, I will say to people, you know, what do we know? What do we know about markets? We, we know they're not efficient. We know we can't predict them. We know you can just buy and hold and you'll get your annual average return of 7%, but we can't tolerate the 50% drawdowns or more that we need to withstand to achieve that. So my solution is I'm going to have a simple rules-based methodology that's designed to capture existing uptrends, but it avoids the worst of any severe downtrend, downturn. And how do you do that? Well, uh, you incorporate uh, strict discipline, risk management. You exit trends when they're invalidated. Uh, you preserve capital so that you're in a position of strength when better conditions then return. So that's what I do. And that's how I'd summarize it. I buy stocks in uptrends and manage risk. Um, and I mean, there's a... And just one word on, a uh, quick uh, word on uh, trend following. I know there are people that always have this argument about trend following doesn't work on stocks. And it really gets down to how you define trend following. And some people, if you're really strict about the definition of trend following, always has to be that it's uh, diversified, it's that it's long and short. Um, well, yeah, we're going to lose those facets of it. That that's not um, you, you're not going to have the diverse diversification from different asset classes. It's all one asset class. It's stocks. So yeah, they're all highly correlated. Um, long short. I don't short stocks. I I'm long only. So you lose that side of it. But to me, it's much more important that it's it's about the um, it, it's about the key principles of trend following. To me, are really about the risk management. That that's what's crucial to its viability. You're going to have more losing trades than winning ones, but your average win will be far larger than your average loss. So you're still going to be profitable overall. It's about that, that's the whole running winners, cutting losers things. So. Um, and so what I look for, um, 
simple stuff. They're really simple screens, all-time highs, 52-week highs. They could be 50-day highs. They can be – they just need to be new highs and whatever time frame uh, best suits you. You might be able to trade across multiple time frames. Uh, not everyone can do that. Sometimes it's better to just uh, have one and stick to it. I, I will use daily charts. I might use weekly. If I get a signal on the daily that also coincides with the weekly, even better. You know, the more things that you can pull together, the stronger the signal will be. And I might hold uh, for weeks to months. Um, I sometimes incorporate a fundamental element into my stock selection. Uh, you know, it might be some kind of theme behind something. But... Uh, the entry and exit triggers will always be objective. They will always be price-based. Um, and I, I, I have to do that. I mean, I run, it's a highly concentrated portfolio. So in a, in a strong trending market, I might only have, because of the way I position size, I might only have uh, 12 to 15 holdings uh, at any one time. But that's pretty much... Um, that's pretty much how I go about it. Okay, so in there you you said that there may be like a fundamental theme um, underlying your your decision to to buy into a trend. Are you able to share an example of of what this may be? Well, it might be like uh, for example the um, IBD uh, list. We the the William O'Neill. Um, Investors Business Daily uh, list of stocks that they have, you know, those are all stocks that have uh, strong fundamentals, uh, strong growth, and it's well, it's to use a simple example. It would be, you know, if I've got two stocks that made a new all-time high today, and there's one that I've never heard of, I don't even know what it does, and it might be fairly small and illiquid or there'll be something like um, uh, Ulta or Nike or something like that on, and it just happens to be an IBD stock. Well, I already know without having to do much more work, if it's on that list, I already know that means it has really strong fundamentals. So I kind of like the fact that there's potentially that other kicker to it if you like that other fuel what that might be what's fueling help fueling its uh, advance but at the end of the day i'm only ever going to use price to determine my my risk my position size that's going to determine my entry it's going to determine my exit i i never make it that the fundamental element is the driver the the actual reason uh, for the trade, because then if if that's your entry rationale, well, that has to be part of your exit rationale. And the danger of that is then, uh, you know, you suddenly have something going against you and you're down 20, 10 or 20% and you're telling yourself, oh, but it's really good value or, uh, but it's, but it's, nothing's changed about the business. It's still the same great company, you know, and the, I don't trade companies. I, I trade stocks i'm i'm not um trading their balance sheet so yeah it's good to know that that's sound and it's good and it's a good business 
But at the end of the day, no matter how good it is, if the trend invalidates by price alone, then I'm out. And I might take a look at it again to see if it comes back on my screen and I'll happily get in again. But I'm always going to be ruthless about managing risk and I'll, I'll always take what price says about something than what an analyst or a balance sheet says about something. Okay. Now, if you had to break it down to basics, what would you say are the advantages of trend following? And I mean, why does this approach really resonate with you? I guess what I'm trying to say is, why do you think it's a good fit for you? And what are the advantages that you see in trend following versus other approaches? Well, um, it, it is absolutely that it, it suits me. And I think that's one of the most important things that something suits your style and your personality. And I know sometimes people have um, problem reconciling that and saying, well, come on, how do you, how does something suit your personality? I, I wrote a, a blog post about this with my experience in, in this area from having read uh, Jason Williams's book, uh, The Mental Edge in Trading, which does a fantastic job about talking uh, about the importance of um, your psychological profile and how it might affect your trading. And by going through that exercise, uh, and, and we can, I'll, I'll send you a, a link to it so that people, you can have it at the bottom of this thing and people can go there and check it out because it really is very insightful that it, it, it showed me that I was, I discovered what I was suited to. You know, it had taken me long enough, but eventually you slowly start weeding out all the things that don't work for you and you're left with only what does. And uh, had I have just looked at this blueprint of my psychological profile and my personality years ago, I probably could have found out then, yes, you are, you are suited to rules-based methodologies, um, you know, and you have uh, good uh, uh, discipline, you have low anxiety, uh, low vulnerability, so you're you're going to be able to withstand it. That that's kind of the thing it it went through. So I already know I'm doing something um, that's that I'm suited to, which I think is very important. I mean, the pros and cons of trend following uh, sometimes they're one and the same. Uh, the 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 because it's simple. It's good because it's simple, but that's also one of the cons. You know, people will say, if it's so simple, why doesn't everyone do it? Well, because simple isn't easy. Um, the, the, the things that make it work are the hardest things to do. It's every, every trade feels wrong. Uh, you're buying something when it's overbought. You're exiting when it's oversold. You've got to ignore noise. Uh, you're going to have losing streaks. You've got to maintain discipline, not just to take your exits, but to keep taking the entries to take that next trade. Um, that's why position sizing is so important because that's what's going to keep you in the game. You'll have low trading costs. You should trade less often. 
uh, you're using end of day signals, uh, which is means you have a lot less screen time. You don't need to be sitting there during the day watching every tick. Um, but that also is then difficult because it requires you to do nothing for long periods. And there are some people that really struggle with that. They have to be tinkering, they have to be doing something and they feel compelled to act. And, you know, so that, so it's one of these things where the beauty of it is its simplicity, but it's precisely because of that, that it makes it so hard for many people to implement and to execute it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, almost like the, the cons of trend following or, or what about it that makes it hard for some traders to stick with. So, yeah, I, th I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, now, something I'd like to ask you about, you, you've touched on it already, um, but I'd like to go a little deeper. Um, and I, I'm fairly certain this is your personal preference and not necessarily the school of thought for trend following, but why do you choose to trade long only? Well, the uh, the short answer is because I've never found a way to make money from shorting stocks consistently, and I'm and I'm and I don't think I'm alone in that. I mean, I've asked other people, well-known managers, uh, when I was trying to get my uh, thoughts together on these kind of subjects, and and I'd kind of struggled to do it, and I've called a couple of people up and said hey look i'm i'm really struggling with this and and what i just can't seem to consistently find a way how to do it and they effectively said yeah i haven't either and you know and, and this is someone who's been managing money for 25 30 years and it's like well if if thank you it's like if you if they've told me that then why the hell am i going to bother trying to find a way for to to make it work uh, with the resources that they had at their disposal and their experience, and they've never found a way to do it. I, I mean, it's the price action is just it's different in downtrends compared to uptrends. We because we look at charts, you think it's people get used to thinking that following something in a downtrend is just the same as uh, following in an uptrend, but it's it's not. They move very, very differently. You have um, short covering uh, rips. You know, markets rise uh, more, they rise slowly, they fall very quickly. And I'm sure people have seen that. We see that recently in the, the market action we've been having now. Um, so it's the same with with stocks, that they're vulnerable to if it's a company that's in trouble, it might be they'll suddenly announce they're seeking strategic alternatives and the thing just rips like 10, 20, 30 percent or suddenly they become a takeover target. Uh, you can't you can't backtest properly, I don't think, um, shorting stocks because you can't take into account what the borrow restrictions are what the real costs were you know i've i've noticed recently in this in this action in the last few weeks um when i've seen something on my trading platform and something's fallen heavily and suddenly the little red uh 
uh, indicator comes up alongside it that the that there's kind of limited there's restrictions on that stock and there's limited borrow and things like this. Well, you never see any of that when you backtest these things. It's very easy to look at the chart and say, oh, look at this. It broke support here. That would have been your signal to get short. And then you work out how much you would have made. You just don't know that you would have been able to do that uh, the, because of the restrictions that might have been on at the time. But there's no way to get any of that historic data. It's also the limited expectancy, the most... The most a stock can decline is 100%. The amount it can rise is infinite. Well, I'd rather have that, that expectancy working for me than against me. I'd rather it the other way around. Um, so I think it, it requires very specific uh, knowledge of, of a company, the, you know, the real reason why you're doing it. It could be it's a declining industry. It has some kind of obsolete uh, product. It has there's some other fundamental trend going against it. You know, most of the most successful guys who do short. So it's not that you know they obviously do it well and they've made money out of it. And people like Jim Chanos and people like that. But I guess that's what I'm saying. Le leave it to those kind of guys. It's what they do. They're, it's, it's a specialist thing. I think it's way too difficult for people who are used to uh, trading the long side in a bull market and they suddenly then think, oh, well, now it's a bear. Now I'll just start trading the short side as if it's just I'll just do the opposite of everything I did before. It just doesn't work that way. Okay, that's a really interesting answer and perspective. So, do you, do you feel that way about regardless of what time frame you're trading, whether you're trading maybe intraday or you know uh, short term swing trades, um, or whether you're in long term trend following? Do you feel that that the same way about short trades on all those time frames? Well, for for stocks on a very short time frame it it might be possible for people to do that more easily um day trading um you know where you then don't have that overnight exposure and you don't run into those other problems but you're still gonna run into uh i mean it depends how much you're trying to trade obviously but you still run into the potential restrictions uh, that are there and you still I'm still not sure how you would be able to um, back test it um, I, I just think there are more there's more trouble than it's worth there and and for me it just means when when we go through those periods where we're mostly in a downtrend it just means I have fewer and fewer uh, positions until you're left with virtually nothing and if we end up being in a fully fledged bear market well, I'm going to be mostly in cash, sitting it out, waiting until I get opportunities on the long side again. And and that to me, I'd much rather just deal with it that way. It's it's just, you know, it, it's really what works for me. And, and people have to find what works for them. And I'm sure there are people that do make money shorting stocks. But I think it's it's a really hard thing to do consistently.
Okay. No, that's that's really cool to get your insight. And I mean, it's it's quite a unique perspective. I I feel from what um a lot of traders are are taught, especially when kind of getting into trading. Um, yeah, because I mean, a lot of a lot of what you hear is just like you know, just do the opposite of when you go long. But you're saying it's it's quite different. So I mean, it's really good to get your take on that. Um, so when we are in a when the market is in an overall uh, bear market, how how are you treating that? Are you staying out altogether, or are you still looking for individual long trades on you know individual stocks? Well, I, I mean, I I will look for them, but it's unlikely that they'll they'll be there. I mean, it, it may well then be that you get opportunities coming up on shorter time frames. You know, depending how long the 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 uh, downtrend that's preceded it. If if we went into something, like imagine if we went into a bear market that, God forbid, went on like <laughs> a a year or eighteen months, something like that. Well, the the way you're going to come out of that kind of trend, you're probably going to have some kind of huge basing pattern over many months, some kind of saucer basing pattern, and then suddenly you'll start getting uh, multi-month. Uh, 50-day highs, uh, even 52-week highs all of a sudden um, because things had been range-bound for so long. And then you'll be taking those. It's, so it's not that you need to wait for all-time highs again before you get back in, but you'll then suddenly find you're getting some opportunities and it may well be it's, it's a false move and uh, you get stopped out of anything new that you took, and here we go to a new low again. But you know, you just kind of dipped your toe in with two or three positions, and as long as you're doing it in a way where you, you're position sizing, where in the way I do, if you're only risking half a percent each time you're doing something, well, you can still tolerate uh, getting a few wrong um, until a, a true trend emerges again. Now you mentioned uh, 0.5% of um, you know capital risk per trade. Do you always have this fixed position size, or do you reduce to an even smaller size during times when you're underperforming or going into a, a drawdown type of scenario? I um, that's a good question because I'm there, there are elements of this which I am looking into and. I'm adaptable on it in potentially being even stricter than I currently am or introducing something where it's more uh, ATR based. Um, but for the moment, for how I'm looking at things right now, it's, yeah, it's pretty much, it's always half a percent. And, and position sizing to me, it's just one of the most important facets to any system. It's just the, it's the biggest variable in, in any system uh, that you control, you know that, and that's one of the things. That's a Van Tharp thing. I mean, beyond that book that I mentioned, he he has since he's come up with a new uh, another book, the Definitive Guide to Position Sizing. I mean, that is just the Bible on position sizing, and it's I mean, it's a huge book. It's a, an immense read. But um, it's it's just got everything that 
that matters on the subject, I think. You know, that was one of the things about breaking down the components of a system and it, I believe it's only exits that, that determine whether something is a, is a win or a loss, you know, until you've actually got out of something. Uh, it's only once you've got out that it then goes in the books as a win or a loss. Uh, the position size determines by how much. Um, entry just determines frequency, how often you're going to trade. So I kind of look at it that you can't control how price moves. So you can't control whether that trade's going to be a winner or a loser, but you can control how much it will impact you. And that's through your position size. And so that's what makes it so important. All right. Well, let, let me ask you this. So what if someone has a small account and it may not be feasible for them to just risk 0.5% of their capital or maybe even, like, maybe even 1%, uh, you know, once you factor in brokerage and that type of thing. Are there any pointers you could give to someone in this situation who perhaps needs to risk more than 0.5% of their account? They might just be trading, you know, five grand or something along those lines. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's going to be tough. The, the reason why that uh, becomes more troublesome, though, is that when you have an account that small, it then becomes more about the uh, trading costs, that very often, all of a sudden, uh, those costs become a much higher percentage um, of what it is you're trying to do, especially if you're trying to do it on a, on a tiny um, tiny amount um, that I, I mean the answer really is that if you then want to reduce those things you have you have wider stops uh, which then result in a, a smaller um, amount of capital per trade if you're suddenly um, yeah if you suddenly your your stop is like I don't know, 20% away. So it will mean it's over a longer time frame. You might be using a weekly close. You might even be using, a, talking to someone the other day who uses a monthly close uh, on how they take positions. Um, you see, the irony is with small accounts, you should actually move to even longer time frames with, with wider stops so that you have smaller positions. But actually, most people, they go the other way because they then think that they have to build up their capital and they end up trading uh, shorter time frames and trading more frequently. And I actually think it should be the other way around. Okay, that's, that's a great point you bring up. Now, just still on the trend-following um, approach, I mean, I understand it's likely that um, you know, you'll have a losing year from time to time, or if not a losing year, an extended period of time before you continue to make new equity highs. Um, so if, if that's the case, I mean, how do you deal with this and how do you control yourself from continuing to uh, trade the strategy without changing it? Yeah, it's th this really is one of the most difficult aspects and it's going to come down again to being suited to it and the, and the, you know, the personality thing. It's about sticking to the system. You've got to keep taking the signals, keep position sizing correctly. And I know that 
it's so easy to say and people will say, well, I know I'm supposed to do that, but how do I do it? No one tells me how to do it. And I got to be honest, I'm just not sure you can teach that. I think you have to learn it by experiencing it. It's like telling someone who says they want to lose weight, well, eat less and exercise more. They know that, you know, that you think they don't know that. They know that, but for some reason they don't want to do it and they'll look for a different way to do it. And it's a, it's a similar thing with, with trading. It's, you know, there, there's the rule, just stick to the rule, but there's something else making them not do it. And unfortunately they've got to find out what that is. They've got to find out uh, what it is about themselves. If they can't follow their rules, only they can know why. Um, you know, they, they have to find out the answers in them. They have to find out what it is. If they truly believe in what they're doing, they won't hesitate to stick to the system. And I've got to a point where I believe in what I'm doing and I know it's right in the long run for me. So uh, I, you know, I, I don't look at these individual trades as I, I think in terms of a thousand trades. This is just this is just one of those trades, and it almost doesn't matter that it's uh, whether it's a win or a loss. It's just one of the thousand. You just keep taking them and keep treating them all in the exact same way, because if you know and believe that you're trading a positive expectancy system, then you have to keep doing that in order to get the final result that you'll get. You'll get. So th this is why it's so important. That as much as possible, you try to develop rules of your own that suit you rather than follow someone else blindly. Because as soon as it gets tough, if you're following someone else, you'll abandon it as soon as the, the system suddenly doesn't match your personality, but it's still easy for them to implement. You know, you, you, um, you can't, you can't change your feelings, but you can change how you respond to them. And, and that's what people have to be able to answer for themselves. Very well said. Another great answer there, John. Um, now, are there any resources just off the top of your head that, you'd, that you could recommend to any other traders who are keen to learn more about trend following? Sure. Um, well, the the obvious one, trendfollowing.com, is Michael Cavell's site, and uh, his book is always a great place to start on on the overall subject of trend following. Um, I mentioned a, the couple of Van Tharp books, Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom, The Definitive Guide to Position Sizing. Uh, Andreas Kleenow has written two fantastic books um, in the last uh I think the first one was a couple of years ago and he just wrote another one earlier this year following the trend, which is uh, mostly about a futures based um, system and kind of how CTAs manage money. And then, re and then this year he wrote uh, stocks on the move, which really talk, although I know he is uh, one of these people that um, doesn't like to call it trend following, on stocks and we've spoken about this and joked about this uh, but to me that is what he's doing in that book it is trend following on stocks but he just doesn't like to call it that he might call it 
uh, more like momentum or something. Um, and uh, yeah, and if you if someone wants to find out more about the um, whole personality side, the mental edge in trading, Jason Williams, I think, is a fantastic, uh, insightful book. Um, I'm on uh, my blog, johnborman.com. You can read everything I've ever written in the last couple of years. Everything's stayed up there. I've always tried to stay as transparent as possible on everything I do. And um, I'm also on the MarketFi uh, platform and StockTwits and Twitter, at uh, jborman. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include um, all those resources you just mentioned there uh, in the show notes for this interview at chatwithtraders.com forward slash 43. So thanks very much for sharing those um, bunch of really good uh, resources there. So anyone who wants to learn more about trend following, definitely uh, check those out, uh, chatwithtraders.com forward slash 43. Now, John, just to take us out, would you like to leave listeners with any tips for long-term survival and if you like, feel free to repeat and reinforce anything you've already mentioned. Sure. Um, I, I think you – it's about having a plan and you really have to – and one that suits you, which we've talked about uh, several times already. But in trading terms, it's about being clear about your objectives. Um, I think it can be – dangerous when people try to target returns you know they'll say well okay i want to make x per year divide that by how many days so i need to make this amount of dollars per day i think if you when you have objectives and goals you need to make them process oriented not outcome oriented you know stick to the process and the outcome will follow it's it's about having small incremental steps that you bring about big change. Excellent. All right, John, good stuff there. Thank you very much for sharing this. Uh, Before we say goodbye, John, can you just share once again with listeners where they can go to find out more about you and connect with you? So maybe your website and uh, your Twitter handle. Yeah, uh, my website, Alpha Capture, is uh, johnborman.com and uh, I'm on StockTwits and Twitter at jborman. Always happy to connect and and help people and answer any questions. Awesome. All right. Really good stuff. And I'm, I'm pleased we were able to make this happen. And thank you very much for, for giving up the time to do this. Thanks again, John. Uh, enjoy your day and let's stay in touch. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. What's up, guys? It's just me again. Thanks a lot for listening to that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it um, as much as I enjoyed speaking with John He was a really interesting guy and I mean, I'm sure we could have kept going for much longer than we did. Um, But the funny thing is, we actually recorded that interview. It was uh, 12 a.m. Saturday night for me, uh, middle of the day for him, of course, being on the other side of the world. Um, So if I was a little bit slow in parts, um, don't judge me too harshly. Um, That's my excuse for it, okay? (laughs) So just a real quick reminder um, about the giveaway that's kicked off this week. And we'll be running through till the 7th of November this year, being 2015. Uh, So the giveaway is your chance to win a free 90-minute one-on-one mentoring session with one of the Chat With Traders coaches. And there's going to be three winners, uh, seen as there will be three coaches. Um, So just real quick, those coaches are Chris Sace, Zach Hurwitz, and Brad Jelenic. 
each awesome traders who have previously featured on the podcast um, and, and past episodes. Um, really insightful guys and I'm, I can promise you'll learn a lot from them. So if you'd like to enter into this, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash win, that's W-I-N, and enter your email address. Once you do this, you'll receive a unique URL. Take that URL and share it as much as possible because for everyone who clicks it, and then enters into the giveaway, you're gonna receive another nine entries. So it's an easy way to rapidly put the odds in your favor and uh, boost your chances of winning. So just in case you missed it, that's chatwithtraders.com forward slash win, W-I-N. So go there, enter now, and best of luck to you. And if we don't speak in the meantime, let's catch up next week. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders.